Welcome to the Leadership Hour. This is Steve Adubato with my trusted colleague and partner and leader in charge. I just made up that title. That's Mary Gamba. How are you doing, Mary? I'm doing great. How are you today? I'm great. I'm great. Good. I came in complaining a little bit about allergies. allergies. We're taping this in allergy season. I had a cold. I had this. And Mary's like, just get in the studio and do the yeah, show. Yeah, do your job. But you did great. You've been doing great today. We tape a lot of these. We pre-tape back to back and you did fantastic. I'm suspicious of your compliment, mm-hmm. but more importantly, let people know how they can check out the Leadership Hour online mm-hmm. as well as through our podcast because they're listening on AM 970 at yeah. 2 p.m. every Sunday. Absolutely. That's a great place to listen. But when you want to hear more of our past podcasts, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes as well as Google Play. And then you can also follow us on Facebook at Steve Adubato, Ph.D. That's A-D-U-B-A-T-O as well as on Twitter at Steve Adubato. And they can also visit us at stand-deliver.com. We have a lot of great articles, tips, tools, everything they need to find is at stand-deliver.com. Well said. Hey, Hey, folks, on the Leadership Hour, one of the things we enjoy most, other than Mary and I engaging in banter Mm -hmm. and tips and tools on leadership, is to introduce folks to great friends of ours who are in our orbit, people who we've worked with, dealt with, learned from, who are just really good leaders. And today is no exception. We welcome our good friend, Ciro Scalera, who is Director of Government Relations, New Jersey Laborers Union. He's also a board member of our production company, the Caucus Educational Corporation. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing fantastic, Steve. Listen, uh, for those who don't know Ciro Scalera, let me just say this. Ciro has been a leader in a variety of situations on lots of different types of organizations. Right now, he's the Director of Government Relations at New Jersey Laborers Union, but previously, Ciro and I first met, he was one of the top advocates and leaders in the country on children's rights and an organization called Advocates for Children of New Jersey. Ciro was the CEO there and and moved on and and worked in the corporate world and now with a labor union. Here's my question, Ciro. Is being a leader in a not-for-profit, a labor organization, or a corporate situation, which you've been in as well, is it any different or is leadership just leadership? I think leadership is just leadership. What might be different is what lies above you, depending on where you are. You know, in the nonprofit world, if you're the executive director, you really are answerable only to a board. In a corporate setting or the union setting, there's levels of leadership above me. And yeah, you have to be mindful of that and respectful of that. But fundamentally, how you approach what you do with the people you lead, that's pretty much in all three of the realms. By the way, I was in the governor's office for one year, and I had about 60 people I supervised there. And I think leadership across all of them is pretty much the same. That's so interesting. By the way, Ciro, uh, remind folks, what administration was that? That was in uh, Governor DeFrancesco. One year, I was his chief of policy and planning. And you know, it was a pretty large staff in the governor's office. And you have to be mindful of all the different functions, personalities, meanwhile, being mission-driven to try to get things done for the governor. So along the way, I've had really a blessing to, in many cases, build a team and then lead all or part of the team that I built. And I'm proud of that because at ACNJ, that you mentioned much, 24 years at the children's group, many of the same people are still there. And part of leadership, if you have the opportunity to either do succession planning or to build a team, take your time, do it right. And if you do it right, you'll leave a legacy when you move on. 
Well, let's stay on that. You're listening to Ciro Scalera. Uh, this is Steve Adubato and Mary Gamba on the Leadership Hour on AM 970 and also our podcast. So, Ciro, what's fascinating to me, you mentioned succession. So you headed up and were really the brand, the public face of Advocates for Children in New Jersey for a long time. And now our good friend mm -hmm. Cecilia Zalkin is the leader of that organization. But Cecilia was there for part of the time that you were there, right? Oh, nine years we worked together. I hired her right out of law school. She had just had a young family, and she started two days a week. And my deal with her was each year you're going to keep picking up days. And really, within two years, she became full-time. And I knew she had the skill set, the experience, the passion that she and I would make an excellent team. So when it was time for me to take another opportunity, I never looked back. And frankly, the organization has never missed a beat under her leadership. And there's still, like I said, Mary Coogan, there's other people on the staff there that came on when Seal and I worked together. So frankly, I don't think people give it enough attention. They're worried about how they're perceived, their leadership, their ability to sustain themselves. And they don't pay enough attention to, at some point, you're going to move on. And are you going to leave the organization in better condition than you found it? It's so interesting, Mary, listening to Ciro, because mm -hmm. was Ciro there when you were with us, Mary, early on? I think so, yeah. I feel like, Ciro, you've been oh, with yeah. us for 15-plus years. So. Yeah, but the yeah. thing that's interesting is that, Ciro, you in no way, your need to be, quote, the leader of Advocates for Children in New Jersey got in the way. You were sitting there going, what's best for the organization, even if I'm not here and I move on? And I have to tell you, Ciro, in all candor, I don't know if I have what it takes internally in terms of security, personality, whatever, to turn the reins over of our not-for-profit organization as comfortably as you did, Ciro. Well, look, you're still a young man, and you have years ahead of you to think about that. But you have built a good team. I witness it being on the board. And I had a few points I wanted to cover around leadership. And I learned this one from ACNJ, and it's that you really have to understand and believe that when the people you lead succeed, you succeed. You see it every day in the papers. You see it in other organizations. Too often, people have that ego and that leadership, and they feel they have to have the accolades. They have to have the credit. And frankly, if you enable empower, you use whatever buzzwords you want. The people that you're leading, they're going to do good things. And when they do good things, you will benefit from that, as will the enterprise. So I think that's really important to understand that point. And a, a second thing that I think kind of goes hand in hand with that is you have to really be self-aware. When you're a leader, you have to know your own strengths. And more important, in my view, you have to know your own weaknesses. You can't let your ego get in the way. Seal will tell you to this day, I'm an idea guy. I get a lot of ideas, great ideas. The problem is you have to execute ideas, and you can't execute every idea that's a good idea. And she and I would go back and forth because I'd come up with all these great ideas, but then she would help bring me back down to earth and make me understand that I had too many ideas sometimes and that, you know, as the program director, she had to try to implement them. 
I suspect that Mary must grapple a little bit of that with you. Thanks for acknowledging that, Ciro. Yeah, to, yes. to Ciro's point, we have about a minute left with Ciro. Ciro, would you wake up in the middle of the night at times and think, wow, I got a great idea. And for years, we'd write on a little pad, but now you could just send yourself an email now or text. I get on my laptop. You I'll do it, right? It at 3 in the morning, and I'm writing. It's just in my head. There you it is. You got to get it down. And Mary, how about when you've gotten the email at 4 or 3 in the morning? I don't expect you to respond, but... The problem, Ciro, is we have to prioritize. We have to be strategic because not every idea is not only not a good one, not every idea is doable fiscally, staff-wise. Right, Ciro? Exactly. That's the point. And I guess the final thing I wanted to say to you is, as a good leader, listen. Listen. Then plan and execute. The good leaders are the ones who assess all the advice and then make a decision but listening is the first part of all of that. And it's just real important when you're leading people. Well said. You've been listening to Ciro Scalera, Director of Government Relations, New Jersey Laborers Union, and also a board member of the Caucus Educational Corporation, our production company tied to public broadcasting and Fios and other related operations, including AM970. Thank you, Ciro, our friend. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Mary. Good luck with the show. Thank you, Thanks Sarah. Thanks so much. Uh, Mary, why don't we take a quick break, break from the Leadership Hour? Steve and Mary will be right back right after this. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Welcome back to the Leadership Hour. Steve Adubato and Mary Gamba here listening to us on AM 970 every weekend, 2 p.m. on Sunday or on our podcast. Mary Ciro Scalera raised a whole range of interesting leadership issues. And it is true that certain people wake up in the middle of the night or don't sleep and have ideas. And they think that idea is brilliant. That's the one. That's it. And... I'm guilty. I will send that email or we've talked about this mm-hmm. before or I'll just write it down and wait till the morning. But either way, it's an idea. And you've often pushed back. Right. Because. You can't focus on every single good idea and give every single good idea the same attention that it deserves in order for it to grow and thrive. So what I'll often do is if you have five really great ideas within a certain amount of time, say, Steve, what is the most important one right now? If you could only execute on one of these, which would it be? If you have a to-do list and you have five things on it, you're not going to get all five of them done. It's impossible. And then what will end up happening is you'll do each of them halfway or not even and you'll never really finish and accomplish anything. So if you want something to grow and you want an idea to really become a reality, you need to put all of your resources and energy into the one that you really feel is the most viable. It's interesting because this is a leadership issue. It's a personality issue. It's a collaboration issue. It's also when you work with someone, you know them, they know you, hopefully. And I'll say, Mary, what about if I, and I'll often talk about mm-hmm. someone's always asked me to teach a course and and you'll say, remember when? Yeah. And by the way, this is no disrespect to any one of the of colleges or universities that I've been honored to be on the faculty sure. ever teach for. 
but you'll challenge me. Yeah, everyone's different. And in our case, when it came down to teaching a course, you just gave that example. If it's a weekly thing, two, three hours every week on a certain day, you have a family, you have children, and you cannot get that time back with them. And I'll often push back and say return on investment. And it's not about the money. It most often is about the return on investment. What are you truly going to get out of it? And are you going to get to a point of diminishing return? You will get as much value out of doing one special lecture at said university, as much value, if not greater value, than doing a course that's eight or 10 weeks. And then wind up resenting it. And resent it. And you don't want to go. And again, it's not that you don't want to go. It's just that if it becomes mundane or becomes just something that's not exciting because you're doing it and you feel like you have to do it, then that is when I push back. But that's what a good leader does. It's an interesting point because this podcast, this radio show, Mm -hmm. the Leadership Hour was several years in the making. Yeah, There are lots of discussions about this. And this really isn't about us. It's about any one of you out there listening and trying to figure out what do you do with these ideas you have, which frankly, not only are not all of them going to work, you shouldn't even be trying all of them. And it's about being strategic and prioritizing. But I remember saying, I want to do a radio show. Mm -hmm. But the reality is a daily radio show would never work in our operation. And I wanted it to be tied to something that I have passion for. Mm -hmm. And so once this book, Lessons in Leadership, that would not have been written without you and other colleagues on our team that helped make it happen, I thought, wait a minute. Why not a radio show podcast that really talks about some of the same things and has other people on, other leaders sharing their ideas? When I first said it, in all seriousness, were you all in or did you have to be convinced? I had to be convinced because when it was first pitched, and this goes back to what Ciro, who we just had on a few minutes ago, Ciro Scalera, he was just talking about listening and a great leadership trait because at that point I was listening and hearing what you were saying. And initially, if you remember, it was going to be just you talking leadership and doing all that. And so we went back and forth and to your credit, you listen to feedback of myself and others. Remember, we talked to a lot of people about it. We talked to people. We actually met with people who have their own podcast. We toyed around with, do you want to do it just with your iPhone? Do you want to do it in a conference room? And we said, no, if we're going to do this, we want to do it right, not Which fast. Which is why we're at East Main, East Main Media, Media with Brian Brodeur and his Brian team. And right his here, team. Brian. And we talk with Brian about this as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm always in the mindset, if you want to do something right, you don't do it fast. If you want to do something right, you do it right. And sometimes that means, you know, maybe putting in a little bit more time, investment, resources. Be patient. Be patient. Leadership and patience. I know. Could you imagine? I I don't recognize this. Yeah. And I do find a lot of great leaders want instant, 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 instant. They have this idea and it needs to be done in 24 hours or it's not good enough. And you listened and you said, all right, I'm going to hear you out. And you listened to a lot of people. And that's why I feel like we really I got it. I want to. Right. And I feel I like- I wanted we, to do what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I think we're on like the 58th, 60th episode now. And the, of re- the leadership hour. Mm-hmm, of the leadership hour. And the reason why it's been so successful and we have on such great guests is because we put out a quality product, in my opinion, and in my view, and the feedback is such that, yeah, it's valuable. But it took us a while to get here because we did the due diligence to get it right. Brian, jump in. Well, Steve, because we did run it past you. Yeah, we did. That's true. I remember the first phone call. I remember that conversation. I actually would like to ping back a question for you, Steve. Oh, great. About Brian's good at that. Brian asked me questions. I don't know the answer to. Well, I, hate I need that. to know. I need to know. <laughs> Can you speak to the idea of timing? Because yes, we did talk about it for maybe two years. That's right. And we talked about the idea. And then we sort of traded some information. There's a technology piece. But then you pull the trigger, right? 
Can you speak to that and how it relates to leadership and timing of doing mm -hmm. something? Brian raises an interesting point. It's about leadership and decision making. Because having a great idea or what you think is a great idea, there are countless people, oh, you invented the iPhone? I had the idea for the iPhone. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, Steve Jobs pulled the trigger, right? My point is, I've always, and I'm not making this about me at all, I'm not a fan of people who say things like, I had that, I was going to, I wanted to. But either A, they don't make the decision, B, they don't pull the trigger, or whatever. And I don't like that in myself. And by the way, there's some things I thought we were going to do and ideas I had that have never come to fruition mm -hmm. because, as Mary said, the pushback on the staff, because you don't do it alone, you need a team. And there have been times where I frankly wanted to, to Brian's point, say, well, fine. If the team's not going to come along with me, I'll do it myself and get another team to do it. You've heard me say that? Yes. Yep. That's petulant. That's being a child. That's being immature. Wow. This is good. I feel like we're in therapy. I'm on the therapy couch right now. But yes, it is true. It is true. Because when I get that pushback, Brian, because trust me, it's very rare that Steve comes up with an idea. And again, not about me, about any leader listening right now. If you're like me, I've lost count of the number of times I've had an idea for something and the staff, almost to a person or a significant number of people, were like, nah, nah, or they don't say anything. What I really want them to say is, wow, Steve, what a great idea. We are all in. And that doesn't happen. I find myself having to convince the team. I'll give you a perfect example. A lot of years, our production company, the Caucus Educational Corporation, to your point, Brian, we were talking about the leadership hour. Switch gears. I started thinking, you know what? We do several shows, one every night called One on One, which is on public television, WNET, NJTV, WHYY in Philadelphia, and on Fios, our great friends at Fios. We also do a show called State of Affairs, mm -hmm. Public Policy in New Jersey. Yeah, you'll hear that in the next half hour, the leadership hour, if you're tuning in on AM 970. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And I also said to myself, wait a minute. We're doing another series called Caucus New Jersey, which was the original series that started in the late 1980s. And I was saying, wait a minute, I'm not feeling it to the degree I was feeling it. And so I thought, you know what? The 2020 election is coming. Why don't we have New Jersey, some New York people, but people in our region talking about national issues and policy questions leading into the 2020 presidential election? Not do horse race politics, not do personality-driven stuff, who's in the polls, who's ahead, who's behind, Trump, impeach him, don't impeach him. I thought to myself, you know what? I could see that on MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, right? Mm -hmm. Let's do something different. Mary was in the room when I brought this idea up, Ryan. Steve Adubato on the Leadership Hour right now. And I'm going to tell you right now, the pushback was, nah, nah, I don't think that's such a good idea. Really? You're going to do that? Who's going to produce it? Wow, that's extra work. And I'm sitting there going, what's up with this team? Don't they see it? Now we're into it. We've produced a significant number of Think Tank shows, and there's a Think Tank podcast. Mm -hmm. What's the feeling now? I think everyone's really excited about it. I'm going to be straight up. Part of me resents that. Mm -hmm. I have a question about that. How long was the timing from where you had that idea to when, boom, it's now on the air? Four months. I mean, it's about right. Yeah, it was for December. For a TV show, for our listeners. Listen, that's fast. 
I mean, one show went away, a new show in a new place. We had to produce it out of NJTV with our great partners over there. Had to build a set, build a table, We got a brand new senior producer. Nicole Swinerton is the senior producer. She stepped up to do that. It's an entirely new paradigm. It's Mm -hmm. it's not just new graphics. And, And listen, again, not about me, not about us. But the truth is, the part of me, Mary, when I say I resent it, here's what I really mean. There are times that as a leader, and I know I'm not alone in this, you want your team to go, you know something? We don't know all the particulars, but we believe in you, Steve, or Jim or Mary or Jane or whomever. We believe in you. And you know something? There's a reason why you're the leader. And you know, we're going to figure this out together. I got to tell you, it's hard to have to sell internally. Mm-hmm. Is that just part of being a leader? It is a huge part of being a leader. I really believe that. Not a because fun part. It's not a fun part. And there have been times, you know, over the years, but we've also worked together a long time with your books or that there has been that feeling of that is a great idea. With this. There Steve goes again. With this, I think it was, you know, again, and this is just using one example of a leadership skill. There was reluctance only because, in my opinion, of a lot of questions that needed to be answered. So sometimes it is a matter of perception of, is it that, okay, the staff is bringing legitimate questions in terms of contracts and How what's allowed? How much work is this going to be? Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But you know something? If we don't change, mm-hmm. if we don't evolve, if we don't innovate, we die. Correct. As people, professionally. Yeah. And his organizations. Brian Brodeur, go ahead. Well, I wanted to ask another question, which is when a leader has a vision and they set the ship down the path, this is where we're sailing, and team members or subordinates, however you want to put that, come to the leader. Now, that's not what I'm talking about this example we were just talking about. But when any situation, a team member comes to the leader and says, listen, I have reservations. I have grave concerns. I'm 10% on this. What advice do you have for leaders to sail the ship? Okay, so what's interesting about that is that I could duck it and say it depends. A, it depends on who it is, because there are a lot of people who are just naysayers for the sake of it. But if you have someone who you really trust, who you believe is a top-notch professional, cares deeply, but he or she has real concerns, you have to fight the urge to let your ego be involved. You have to fight the urge, as hard as that is, to have pride of authorship. You have to fight the urge to want people to be supportive just because you came up with the idea, and you have to listen. For leaders out there, for whom that's easy, good for you. For me... I'm like, let's just go and do it. And meanwhile, I've got to listen, as Brian said. You've got to listen to the reservations. But I'll tell you what. How much do you challenge? How much do you push push back? back? Because part of my pushing back is, look, I bet at Blockbuster, okay? Think about Blockbuster, Mm -hmm. right? Someone at Blockbusters. This is... <laughs> I think you should tell folks what Blockbusters is because a lot of people listening probably don't <laughs> well, remember. Well, describe Friday night at Blockbusters. What was well, going on? Well, you would go and actually have to rent a videotape. You had to go and or rent your a name VHS. On a list. Or, yeah, put your name on a list because, sorry, someone has that tape rented at the moment. You need to wait to rent that tape. People don't remember that. I mean, you're talking 15 years ago. Wow, such a long time ago. Are no, you ready for I'm this? No, but I'm saying that a no. lot of our listeners. Okay, but th- that's Blockbusters. Yes. Someone at Blockbusters had to put on the table the fact that Blockbusters had a chance to buy Netflix. 
Mm-hmm. And someone, I don't know who, I don't know the history. In fact, now I'm curious. I want to read this. I know. And someone says, well, we have a chance to buy this thing called Netflix. And someone else internally says, ah, really? Net? What, what are you talking about? Like a service where people on their f- what? And on the TV? What they're going to do? What? No. They just want to keep coming here on a Friday night, getting in line, putting their name on a list, hoping that they get at the movie they want, bring it home, bring it back, and then you charge them 50 bucks because, at least in our family, it was never on time. What a great business model. My point is, it is hard. And by the way, Blockbuster punted, didn't do it. And who knows to what degree it was shareholders, staff, employees who resisted the idea because change is so uncomfortable no, let's just keep doing what we're doing. And the rest is history with Netflix and Blockbuster. Of course. Absolutely. And the leader's job is to what? Listen to that garbage? No. Or just say, you know what? Get on board or get off the bus. You need to find a happy medium. There have been companies that have failed Blockbuster. There have been Blackberry, co- Research in Motion. Right. But there have been companies that have succeeded as well because of pushback, I'm sure. I think there's a happy medium because if you go full steam ahead with every idea, every innovation, every whatever, you could end up using all your resources, burning out your staff, throwing money at, you know, money just to kind of get things done. So yeah. I, I, you just have to find that happy balance, which is what we try to do and what great leaders do. Yeah. I, I don't know if there actually is a neat, clean balance because my feeling mm-hmm. innovation and innovating is not a balance. Right. You just do it. Great leaders, in my view, are constantly looking to innovate. You know what? Interesting. You and I happen to listen to someone who we don't call a great leader on the surface because he doesn't use this term to describe himself, but Howard Stern is an innovator. Okay? And I'm not going to be promoting... Well, they're not on terrestrial radio, so it doesn't matter. And it's, it's not really about radio. It's about the idea that I bet there are some people, and you remember this, when he went over from where he was Mm -hmm. to this other thing, you know, this other entity, there are a bunch of people around him who are like, you're going to do what? Totally. Who's going to be listening over there? Now, how many years later? And who's going to pay to listen? Who's going to pay to listen? Yeah. You can get it for free. Exactly. And a couple, it was a couple months ago, again, Howard Stern, they were doing the first where they were just testing out to see how it was working. It wasn't supposed to be live on the uh, on the air. But of course, you know, to his credit, again, an innovator, he said, let's just put this out there and see what happens. And about five times throughout, he's like, and I know there's one person listening in Kansas. And thank you for listening. And, you know, and he kept correcting, kind of saying, hey, listen, I know this is a risk that I'm taking, but we're going to give this a shot because at least then I'm in control. And he took that risk and it worked. And I think that's what you're getting at. And that's what I'm hearing is that the great leaders aren't afraid to take risks as long as they've really calculated and measured. All right. You, you can't calculate it all. Mary, you can't. No, but I'm saying, don't... but you do need to do your due diligence. I, 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 listen, I'm a big fan of doing due diligence. I'm not a fan of people coming up with a new idea every day because they think they're they know everything and they don't check it out and they don't find out who's tried this before and they don't do the research. Agreed. But I'm going to say this to you. The vast majority of people that I know, <coughs> excuse me, that's what I get, by the way. I'm coughing like this because of my allergies that you say, wow, 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 wow I get it. <laughs> but I'm going to say this. I've had to temper. And again, I know I keep saying it's not about me. It's not about me because I deal with enough other leaders and we know one bank CEO, mm-hmm. high energy, yeah, a lot of ideas. Sure. He wants to move faster than a lot of people around him. I get it. Right. And he's younger than I am 
by a lot. I'm going to say this. For leaders with tremendous passion and energy who come up with ideas, learning how to temper that, manage it, but not lose your passion and not get, I don't want to say depressed, not get deterred by all the pushback, but manage it and listen to it, you're right. It's a delicate balance. It is. And one other quick thing that I'll just say is- a few minutes left. No problem. Manage your expectations. I constantly give you that advice, right? What does that mean? That means that- Why should a leader manage his expectations? You just said that there's part of you that feels resentment that now people are celebrating. That's a strong word. No, I I get it. I didn't like it. Yeah. But on the flip side, if we all weren't celebrating, that wouldn't be well-received either. So you definitely need to say, and you could almost say for a second, I told you so, because it is so good. The product is awesome. I'll say this. The other thing about leadership that's interesting is, is, and this is the ego part. Mm -hmm. Cyrus Scalera was talking about this. There is a, there's an insecurity that I'll, I'll acknowledge that there is a part of me that wanted, and again, for those of you who are leaders who have been right when others around you pushed back, but you were right, A, telling you, telling them I told you so, not a great strategy. But I will admit that there's a part of me that very much wanted people to go, you know what, Steve was right about, and actually say it to me. But you, my wife will often say this to me, stop looking for that recognition. Just know that you were right and leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Who else has said that to you? Mary Gamba. Yeah. So, um, but that's the part of leadership that uh, Cyril said, know yourself. Yeah. At least for me, I know that's a weakness. Yes. You didn't 10 years ago, but now you've learned and evolved. And that's another great part of leadership is listening to the people around you who really care and want to help to make you your best self. And you do that as well. So that's And again, good. not about me, but all of you out there, the, the lesson, there are a couple lessons here. One is don't stop coming up with what you think are creative, imaginative, innovative ideas. But realize just because as a leader, because you have an idea to do something, my God, getting it done requires time, energy, due diligence, selling internally, selling externally, logistics. It's the combination of vision and execution and so many other things along the way. Perseverance, all those things. The other thing is that ego and insecurity, not great qualities for a leader. And you have to fight them. Just some someone says, well, that's the way I am. Well, get over it. Final, uh, Mary, final thoughts. Uh, oh, yeah, real quick on the empathy thing. Yeah. We, we, we touched on this before. Uh, I know you were talking about Joey before, your, your son. Yeah, you know, scraped he, his knee, but yeah. Okay, here's the thing about empathy. Where's the where's healthy empathy and where is wah, wah, you, you're, you're making excuses? Well, because the world is a tough place. So I think that the healthy empathy is if it is something severe, if it is something something drastic, then that's okay. Unhealthy empathy is when you make someone feel sorry for themselves and then they don't know how to pick themselves up and brush themselves off if they fall down, not literally, but even figuratively in the workforce. So that is the difference in my mind. You don't want to be an enabler. And to that point... Um, I heard Jeff Daniels, who's in a play. We do a great series uh, one-on-one out of Lincoln Center at the Tisch WNEQ studio. We have a lot of stars on Broadway. He's the one I want. He's in To Kill a Mockingbird right now. And uh, he was being interviewed. I forget who was interviewing him. Um, Oh, Nicole Wallace over on MSNBC. And she asked him, she goes, didn't you have the flu for a week, but you never missed a performance? And he said, on Broadway, having the flu means eight shows a week. Not having the flu means eight shows a week. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and I was saying to Mary, I got a cold, I got the allergies, mm-hmm. and she's like, and I've got the leadership hour, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, Jeff Daniels does what? Just get in there and 
And now we're finishing our taping of the Leadership Hour. And so the lesson is? That you'll be okay. Just push through, have a cough drop, and you'll do just fine. Yeah, we're tougher than we think we are, even if you're big babies like me. So listen, uh, enough about me. <clears throat> Let's talk to everyone out there. And by the way, real quick, uh, thank our sponsors, uh, the folks who, uh, New Jersey Resources absolutely. is our lead sponsor, and then all of our key clients yeah, who we've actually got, make this possible. Absolutely. Well, of course, first and, first and foremost, New Jersey Resources. We've got Valley Bank, Cone Resnick, uh, MD Advantage, NJ Sharing Network, Gibbons, St. Joseph's Health. Uh, the list goes on and on. So, How about Prager Metis as well? Prager Metis, client, right? absolutely. Listen, folks, thank you for listening to the Leadership Hour. Check us out on our website, stand-deliver.com. This is Steve Adubato. That's Mary Gambit. Also, stay tuned for State of Affairs with the leaders of New Jersey talking about the things that matter to you. Catch you next week. This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. This is Tracy Thompson, New Jersey's acting insurance fraud prosecutor. The state of New Jersey is making learning about and reporting insurance fraud easier than ever. At njinsurancefraud.org, you'll find tips on identifying insurance fraud and a simple, confidential form for reporting it. Report it, end it. Hi, I'm Rich Ribeiro. The Terrell Fund is committed to educating the public about the need to support New Jersey's infants and toddlers right from the start. That's why we're proud to support the important early childhood programming produced by the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding for this edition of State of Affairs with Steve Adubato has been provided by the Turrell Fund, supporting right from the start NJ, Holy Name Medical Center, this place is different, NJM Insurance Group, Wells Fargo, New Jersey Resources, the New Jersey Education Association, and by Summit Medical Group, a multi-specialty medical practice providing comprehensive care from birth and pediatrics to geriatric care concentrating in general wellness, cancer treatment, disease management, and behavioral health. Promotional support provided by NorthJersey.com and Local IQ, part of the USA Today Network, and by New Jersey Globe. Welcome to State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. I'm very proud to be coming to you we are coming from the Agnes Varis NJTV studio in beautiful Brick City, Newark, New Jersey. It's our pleasure to introduce Ginger Gold Schnitzer, who is um, executive director of the Guarini Institute for Government and Leadership at St. Peter's University. Good to see you. Good to see you, Steve. I knew you when you were a kid. <laughs> <laughs> no, it feels like that, right? Okay, so you, you've been with a couple of not-for-profits advocacy organizations, sure. right? 22 years at the NJA? 22 years at the New at the Jersey NJA. Education Association. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. I'm curious about this. You make the transition mm -hmm. from lobbying yeah. and advocacy work for the New Jersey Education Association to a university setting. Yeah. Ivory Tower or grounded in reality? Grounded in reality. Break it down. Absolutely grounded in reality. Look, as I see it, our mission is to inspire the next generation of public servants, of policymakers and of just informed citizens, right? Our democracy is counting on it. I have spent 
the last 25 years in Trenton working in legislative advocacy. Education issues. Education issues, and before that, a whole bunch of other issues. Right. But the point being, Steve, is that what I come to realize is that, you know, when I graduated, I thought that if you read the bill, you knew what to do. And then I thought if you build the relationships, you'll impact public policy. And then I thought if you organize, you'll impact public policy. And then I thought if we elect our own members or you elect your own people, you'll impact public policy. But at the end of the day, we need to better prepare humans to impact public policy. Where do you go to prepare humans? A university. So let's play devil's advocate here. Um, you know politics well. You know policy well. It took you a few years to start understanding how... I hate saying this expression, how the sausage is made, but that is part of it. But at the Guarini Institute, named after, by the way, a former United States Congressman Frank Guarini, represented Hudson County, Jersey That's City right. area, just a class act. Um, and he was very much a part of the St. Peter's sure. uh, University community. I'm going to ask you this. You have said something that I like to say a lot. Uh, excuse me, democracy is not a spectator sport. What do you mean by that? I know what I mean. What do you mean, more importantly? I mean that... If we don't engage, if we don't know the issues, if we don't take the time to, um, to share our opinions with the people making the decisions, it's like writing a blank check for anything to happen. And so um, part of that mission is to, to study policy and what's going mm. on. Part of that mission is to figure out how to get it done, how it works and how to work it. But who? The devil's advocate question really comes down to citizens. Yeah. I mean, listen, we want citizens to be involved, but there are a whole bunch of folks watching saying, wait a minute, how am I supposed to be involved? That's why I elected him. That's why I elected her. That's yeah. what their job is. But that doesn't work. work. No. You know what? If public policy is how we make the rules for our society, okay. right? And who doesn't want to be at the table when the rules are being made? And there's lots of different ways you can take your seat at the table, right? Some people find it in elected office. You tried that for a while, right? But you found another Did seat at the table. Did you have to bring table. that up? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Come on, we just know each other a long yes. time. That's right. You were a young lobbyist <laughs> down there when I was in my first term in the legislature uh, in the mid-'80s. But the reality is I learned in that short period of time that you think you know how it works, but <laughs> is, is it three-quarters of it relationships? So look, it's, it's real, a lot of it is about relationships, but you also have to understand the process. There's the process what the textbook says, and there's how it really works. And before people can engage in this effectively, we need to share with them how it re really works. What Policy about students, has a lot of constraints. I'm sorry for interrupting. No, go ahead. You, you said that students, you're trying to prepare students for what? I want to prepare students, if they're interested in a career in public policy, to pursue it. If they're interested to not have a career in public policy, I want them to understand that public policy, that policymaking, that laws and regulations and the implementation of them affect their daily lives. And it's their responsibility to know it and to do something about it. That may be putting people in mm. office who share their values. That may, so it could be as simple as voting and, and being an informed voter. That could be as complex as, you know, going to become the head of an agency or a department in state or mm. national government. In fact, there's a, uh, we're going to be, we're taping this on the 9th, right, Patty? The 9th of yeah. April. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so this may be seen after, on the 24th of April at St. Peter's University at the, uh, Warini Institute, there is a policy forum, policy discussion called In the Weeds. This is about the legalization of marijuana? Absolutely. Why, why, why would you start with that as your first forum? Because it's the hottest <clears throat> issue in the legislature right now.
And it's an ideal place to discuss it on a college campus where we have many students that may be really interested in that, right? And so it's, if, if they're discussing it in Trenton, and if it's something that could happen in our state, and by the way, somewhat, over 80% of our students at St. Peter's are from New Jersey, then we should be talking about it. We should be getting their, um, their feedback, their buy-in, their excitement mm -hmm. uh, for one side of the issue or the other, uh, and, and try to show them that policy is really relevant mm -hmm. to them. And by the way, I don't want to limit what Gorini Institute will do to just our students at St. Peter's University. We're going to hold programs that are free and open to the public. It's part of our mandate. Even though it's university, it's not just for students. It's not just for students. I'm going to expand the conversation. There's a good chance we're going to use this conversation for um, our think tank. Check out our website. We have a new series called Think Tank. There's a podcast that goes Great. with it. And when then we discuss some things that have national implications, uh, we include it. And I'll tell you why I'm asking this. I'm obsessed by, hopefully in a healthy way, <laughs> the tone and tenor, the negative, nasty, ugly tone and tenor of political discourse in our nation. Are you? I am. And that's what I, one of the things I said when I said we need, to, we need to find a place to create better humans or better prepare humans for this work. Better preparing humans for this work might entail how do we get this done without some of that? Could you, you see what goes on in Washington every day? We see Trenton's not as bad. Trenton's not as bad. But let's do Washington for a second. Sure. The name calling, the pettiness, the I'm not going to have you get, you're not getting that gateway tunnel until I get my wall. And it's not just about Donald Trump. Democrats are just as guilty as anyone else. Are you, you're an optimist by nature, but do you see the leadership in, because you have a, a leadership, an institute about government and leadership, do you see the political leadership? to do that in Washington right now? Look, I think that political leadership, no matter where you are in your leadership, you have potential. And I believe with the right civic engagement and pressure on our leaders, when we reject that as an appropriate discourse, then we do have the power to change it. You mean it. that people need to demand better from those yes. in leadership positions? And people need to not respond to negative stuff. Because some people say, I like that. I right. like when people are. Um, say what they think, but hold on, but what about if they think, is you're calling someone a name? What does that right. have to do with policy? Or worse, if you're making somebody in this country feel marginalized by their race or their religion or, right? Yeah, by the way, I'm curious about this, future forms that the Guarini Institute are going to have. I know there's one you're going to do on health care, another one economic development, budget and taxes. Immigration in the mix or no? Sure. Uh, our students are very, a very interested. Diverse, sorry for interrupting. A very diverse population. Yes. And, and, and frankly, I've been going to political science classes in the last week and talking about the Guarini Institute. And uh, I always ask students when I go there, I say, tell me what you're passionate about. And immigration's come up a lot. Um, and then I ask them this follow-up question is, okay, you told me what you're passionate about. Now, what are you doing about it? And what do they want to see done? Right. Well, I want to know what they're doing about it. Because the Guarini Institute, I like to think that we're going to be about putting your passion into action. As opposed to like we just talked about it? That's not enough that we talk? Look, talking is a very important part. Right? The conversations we, there's, uh, you always hear around election time that there's no, nothing more influential than the conversations we have around the dinner table. So let's raise the quality of those conversations. That's right. And if it doesn't start there, then why would we expect it to start in Trenton or Washington or anywhere else? Um, Ginger Gold Schnitzer is executive director mm -hmm. of the Guarini Institute for Government and Leadership at St. Peter's University. They are, in fact, one of the uh, supporters of what we do here at the Caucus Educational Corporation. We wish you not, nothing but the best. 22 years at the NJEA, now switching over to higher ed. We wish you all the best. Thanks, Steve. Okay. Thanks, Thanks for Stay having right me. There. I'm Steve Arabato. This is State of Affairs, and we will be right back. 
To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD. And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. State of Affairs is pleased to welcome Peter Chen, policy counsel for an organization called Advocates for Children of New Jersey, advocating for the children of New Jersey every day. This is part of our ongoing conversation, part of our series uh, called Right from the Start, NJ, zero to three, um, prenatal care as well. Peter, we work with your organization on a lot of issues, try to understand the impact, particularly for poor children or children in, in inner city disadvantaged areas. You've said that the 2010 census that the federal government runs has undercounted, misrepresented the number of children in inner city areas, Newark, Jersey City, other places, and it's devastating. Talk about it. So the census determines funding for a wide range of federal funding. That's right. Um, but many state programs also are based on census counts. So the federal count of the total number of residents in different areas determines funding for things like schools, Head Start, uh, child care, health care, uh, Medicaid. So huge programs and basically every federal program that you can think of that benefits low-income children and families depends on census counts uh, in order to determine the funding. And when children are not counted, as happened in 2010, uh, the amount of funding is lower than it needs to be for the total population that Peter Chen, why weren't these children counted? Well, many children live in what are called hard-to-count areas, um, areas where it might be harder to count people because it's a low-income area, um, people uh, may not speak English, or simply because uh, there are multiple residences in one location. So if it's a rental property, if it's apartment building, or if there are multiple rental units all in the same house. Uh, those may be areas where the mailer that goes out might not be counted. Um, but one of the big factors for why children are undercounted, and particularly very young children, is because the family or the householder omits them from the form. Okay, they just leave them off right. the form. And it's not because necessarily they don't know that the child lives there, but that children may not be included for, they may not be considered like a person that needs to be counted on the census. But that's a mis misconception of absolutely. how the census works. And why is it disproportionately in urban areas like Jersey City and Newark? Well, so there are a few factors that have been shown to be linked with uh, leaving kids off the census. Um, those are living in a racial or ethnic minority household, um, living in a house of uh, the household where no adult speaks English very well, um, living in a household that has a grandparent householder, or living in a household where there are unrelated people living in the home. So you might have two families that are unrelated that live together in one address. And in that case, what might happen is one family might fill it out, and the other family might not be included when mm. that person fills it out and might not know that they were supposed to be included. But Peter, this also, by the way, speaking of Peter Chen from uh, Advocates for Children of New Jersey, you're going to see our website from right from the start. And Jay, check it out and all kinds of important information. It's been two years we've been doing this initiative. And, uh, and I, when we started it, frankly, Peter and everyone listening and watching right now, we had no idea how many challenges that infants and toddlers have and those who care for them have. In this regard, I'm curious about something. What does, this what does this have to do with political representation, the undercount of the census in 2010? So 
there are two pieces in the upcoming 2020 census that are going to be really important for New Jersey for political representation. The first is that the total number of residents in the state determines how many congressional representatives New Jersey has. We have lost seats. We have lost seats. In 1990 and in 2010, we lost uh, a congressional seat. Um, and so that means less voice in D.C. It also means less voice in the Electoral College we had for presidential we, elections. We have 13? We have 12 now. 12. We had 14. Yes. And each time you lose a certain amount of people compared to the rest of the nation, the static number in the House of Representatives must remain at 435 members. So if Texas, right. if California, if New Mexico, if those other states gain more in the census, they get more political representation. New Jersey loses congressional representation. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, yeah, and I, the only thing I would clarify... Because the number 435 doesn't change. Right. The only thing I would clarify is that New Jersey doesn't even have to lose population. It's only that New Jersey has to grow slower than the other states. So the population of the nation is growing. If we have less of a percentage of the people in our state compared to the rest of the nation, we That's lose. Right. That's right. And what does that have to do with kids? So, um, obviously, children depend on their elected representation... Uh, People, I kids depend on their elected representatives. Those who are supposed to care about them. That's right. In, to, in political office. That's right. And so we see in um, when uh, when congressional representatives are going out, going up to bat for kids for Medicaid funding, for CHIP funding, for school funding. CHIP is the Children's Health Insurance Program. Right. Right. Um, they. Uh, we need more of them in order to go to bat for kids' programs. And the other piece that's going to be really important is redistricting. Um, we hear a lot about gerrymandering or the borders of political districts, and that's all based on census counts. Wow. Um, and so if, an, if particularly low-income areas have undercounted populations, that means they get less representation in New Jersey's state house as well, not just at the federal Before level. I let you go, Peter, the good minute left. The issue of planning, what does the undercount in the census of children have to do with planning? Planning what? So if a hospital is thinking about where they're going to build a new branch, or a school okay. district is trying to determine if they're going to expand to a new location, or if um, the planning board is trying to figure out what road is going to be put down to a new subdivision, census counts all go into the calculations of where that's going. So whether it's a business, whether it's government, those uh, those plans all depend on the number of people that are there. So real quick, before I let you go, the advice for everyone watching right now in terms of being a part of this 2020 census in a meaningful way. So the biggest thing is to just get educated about the census. Um, the state of New Jersey has a census website. ACNJ is putting together a census website. And the Advocates Census Bureau. Advocates Children of New Jersey, your, your site has been up. So if they go to your site, what do they find out about the census? So there's a whole list of different resources that are available, both sort of like a Census 101, as well as PowerPoint presentations, PDFs, all kinds of information for people to use on why the census is so important for kids. Peter Chen. Policy Council Advocates for Children of New Jersey. This is part of our Right from the Start NJ initiative. Peter, and thank you for joining us. Well done. Great. Thanks, Stay right Steve. There. This is Steve Adubato. This is State of Affairs. This is the Agnes Varis NJTV studio in Newark. We'll be right back after this. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. State of Affairs welcomes Stephanie Hunsinger, who is State Director AARP, which stands for 
Uh, well, it used to stand for the American Association of Retired People. After but the rebranding. It's just AARP. I love it. People know what it is. Yeah. Listen, I got the... I got you a got certain, your card? No, thank you very much. Yeah. Don't you should be proud. I, yeah, well, half. So, um, <laughs> but I'm proud of what you, the work you and your organization yes. do. Yes. Let's do this. Let's jump into a few issues. Um, the population you represent, talk about them. Uh, so we represent the 50-plus uh, across the country, just over 38 million members across the United States. In New Jersey, we have 1.3 million members. But mm. as our motto says, what we do, we do for all. So we really represent the entire 50-plus population. But we also know that what we're doing for the 50-plus today is beneficial and will affect generations to come. So we, sure. I, we really do believe that what we do is for all. Let's break down some issues. <clears throat> you and I were talking about right before we got on the air. If the Affordable Care Act is, in fact, repealed, mm. I mean, listen, there have been so many attempts. If it were to happen, Obamacare, mm. what do you think it would mean for the population you represent, your members? It would be terrible for the population that we represent. You know, uh, ARP supports the critical aspects of the Affordable Care Act that are really important health priorities for Americans that are 50 plus. So things like <clears throat> providing access to affordable quality coverage, uh, discrimination based on age and pre-existing conditions, uh, that's a huge issue for our members. You know, as individuals get older, uh, they could be charged more. Uh, the provisions in the ACA, right. yeah. So right now there's a rate of about one to three. Uh, and as you age, you can be charged higher. As you get older, you may have more illnesses, chronic illnesses. So insurance companies are higher risk. So they'll charge more for an aging population. ACA keeps that at a, at a reasonable level. Without the provisions through the ACA, that can change. But Stephanie, the governor, Governor Murphy, is saying in New Jersey, hey, listen, we'll take care of it. We'll set up our own exchange. We'll be good, you say. So New Jersey has some really great laws currently that protect individuals from age discrimination, pre-existing condition um, clauses, uh, providing affordable coverage. Is uh, it enough? It's enough for if individuals it, if it were to be, have, I'm sorry for interrupting. Yeah. If the ACA were to be repealed, is what New Jersey doing enough? Uh, a lot of what New Jersey has in place uh, is covered through the ACA. Could we do more? I'm sure we could. We always could do better um, in really providing affordable access to individuals. Uh, more importantly, how can we work to lower prescription costs? Yeah, can we talk about that? How yeah. bad is, how serious a problem it, is prescription drug costs for your members? It's a problem. Uh, on average, individuals who are on Medicare over the age of 65 take around four and a half different medications on a monthly basis. Um, they are extraordinary expensive. Yes. People are in positions where they're choosing between taking the medication that they need to stay healthy and buying their groceries or paying their electric bill mm -hmm. or paying rent or mortgage. No one should ever be in that position. Our costs are exorbitant. Uh, and we need to do something to change that. We need to do that. Congress needs to do something to change that. Who's leader on this? I heard Senator Booker and Senator Menendez talking about it. Are yeah. they leaders in this effort? They're champions on this, and we'll continue to work with them and, and trying to get them to push this and, and do it, everything that they can to help lowering the cost. You think the industry, the pharmaceutical industry, as a group, mm -hmm. are listening and understanding how serious this problem is for those who are 50-plus? I think they're listening. I'm not sure if they're understanding it. So our job is to make sure that we keep getting that message out there and making sure that everybody understands that, not just Congress, not just constituents, but the pharmaceutical companies as well. And we're not asking them to change the work that we're doing, not asking them to decrease research. Mm. What we're asking them to do is think about where they're spending their money and pass some cost savings mm. on to consumers. Americans pay more for the prescription drug coverage um, and costs than 
pretty much any other European country does. And that's a problem. We're number one, and that's not good. It's not good. Can we talk about this initiative? I'm curious about this. The New Jersey Secure Choice Savings Program yeah. passed uh, March 28, 2019. What is it? Yeah. So it is a private-public um, partnership where it provides a vehicle for individuals. 53% of New Jersey residents had no way to save for retirement through their employer. And so this sets up a private-public partnership where workers who didn't have access to saving for retirement now can. Uh, it is a auto uh, deduction. So instead what of opting... Mean? So instead, normally, you would opt, out, opt in to a 401k okay. at your employer. This is an automatic, so you have to opt out of participating. So when you start working for that employer and you sign up to be a part of this program, you will automatically have a percentage of your salary that will be put into mm. a savings retirement plan for you. You know, some of us are obsessed by trying to save for our kids to go mm -hmm. to school. Yeah. yeah. Hard to do. But what about the whole question of saving for retirement? Yeah, so, you know, right now, on average, uh, people, the average American has about $14,500 saved for retirement. $14,500. That's the average. That's the average. Um, in New Jersey, the average Social Security check that residents receive is around $19,000. So people are relying solely on Social Security. Oh, $19,000? $19,000 a year. A year they're getting, $19,000 a year. And people are relying solely on their Social Security as their retirement, and that is not what Social Security so was meant to be. what do you say to, to your members? What do you say to them? What's the message to your members about this? Because uh, the they're trying to get through every month. Yeah. But they've got to think about the future. So, Assemblyman Freeman was a sponsor of this legislation, and, and recently at the bill signing, he made this analogy, and I thought it was such a great analogy. Um, he said he remembered when he was a kid, his dad would come home and he'd have change in his pocket, and he would take his change out and he would put it in like a jar and sure. a, a bucket in their house. You know, after a while, that little bit of change, you don't even realize it's missing. But after a while, it all adds up. And this is what the Secure Choice Savings Program is about. It's about taking a little bit now and putting it away without even realizing that it's gone. And then in time, that adds up so mm. that you end up being in a position where you can live comfortably in retirement. You can stay in your home and in your mm. community and with your family where you want to be and not be in a position where you're forced to have to relocate because you can't afford to stay where you are. Uh, before I let you go, this is Stephanie Hunsinger, who is state director of uh, AARP, New Jersey. Social Security. Mm. How secure? Um, you know, I think that we are it's going to be a fight, and we're going to continue to have to fight to protect Social Security. Uh, you know, it may not be the only means of savings, but it is an important means of savings for, as I just said, many Americans who are relying solely on that for their retirement. We have to do everything we can to protect that and make sure that it's there. They've been working for years and paying into the system with the idea that it's going to be there for them when they need it, and we need to ensure that it is. And anyone says we need to balance the budget by making some cuts in Social Security, raising this age that you yeah. say... I say no. Uh, you know, making cuts to, to those changes ends up not only hurting the individual, but it, it hurts us as a country as well. It ends up costing more money in the long run. Uh, it's the same thing with the ACA. When you provide, it, when you provide individuals with uh, assistance mm. that they need, Social Security, uh, adequate affordable health coverage, you don't have individuals who are running to the emergency room. You don't have individuals that are, are coming to the, to the government to ask for assistance. Stephanie, it's the first time you join us. Don't let it be the last. I hope not. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm Steve Adubato. Thanks for watching this edition of State of Affairs. So let's continue the conversation. Let's so follow me on Twitter at Steve Adubato. Promise I'll see you next time. Take care. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. 
celebrating over 30 years of broadcast excellence. Funding for this edition of State of Affairs with Steve Adubato has been provided by the Turrell Fund, supporting right from the start NJ. Holy Name Medical Center, this place is different. NJM Insurance Group. Wells Fargo. New Jersey Resources. The New Jersey Education Association. And by Summit Medical Group. Holy Day Medical Center is leading the statewide effort to improve end-of-life care through the use of advanced directives, recognizing a person's wishes on how they want to spend their last chapter of life isn't about death, it's about living. Our goal is to help all patients maximize their quality of life in their final months, weeks, days, and hours.